Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, March 8th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On this week, we're digging into part two of our four-part SPAC series, And this week, we're kicking off the show with another great interview. Latch is an enterprise SaaS provider focused on delivering a full building operating system designed to help owners, residents, and third parties like guests, couriers, and service providers seamlessly experience the modern building. This week, Matt Frankel got to chat with the co-founder and CEO of Latch, Luke Schoenfelder, about the company, its goals, and its journey to the public markets. Hey, Luke, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Excited, uh, excited to chat. Excellent. Um, for those who don't know, uh, Luke is the CEO of Latch, a property technology company. Um, but for those who aren't too familiar with Latch, can you briefly explain kind of, you know, kind of the, the short version of what your company does? Absolutely. Yeah. So our, our thesis from the beginning has always been to make buildings better places to live, work, and visit. And we do that through LatchOS, which is our software platform and then through devices that we make and partner devices and integrations with companies like UPS for package delivery and all sorts of other sort of amazing things that need to happen at a building. Excellent. So I know the Latch OS is kind of the, the product, but you are you also actually produce the physical hardware, correct? We, we do, yeah. So it's a, um, I, my background, I, I previously worked at Apple. Um, my other co-founder was Johnny Ives from starting the design team at Apple. A lot of the team is from Apple. So it's a similar sort of ethos around software um, that's differentiated by, uh, you know, hardware as well. And I think that's been sort of our thesis was how can we build something that works better together for everybody at the building? So it is 2021. How has it taken this long for technology to kind of creep into real estate? It's it's very interesting. You know, we, we joke that Rent is the world's oldest subscription product, and it hasn't changed in you know a few thousand years. Um, it really hasn't. I mean, the experience is the same. And I think there's a few reasons. Um, one, there's nobody in real estate, even you know, with the largest partners, that's truly at full scale, right? And so everybody's kind of operating in a subscale way where they were not able to build their own technology products. They've needed other folks to come along and build products that they could use. And no one has been able to sort of do that in a totally widespread way focused on all of the users. And we see our challenge as being the first product company to do that. It's exciting, but it's also difficult because it can be a fragmented market. And that was why it was so important for us to work directly with so many important customers as both investors and and supporters of the company. I read a statistic that your product is being installed on about one in 10 new apartment buildings in the U.S., if I'm quoting that correctly. Uh, it's one in 10 apartments, which is actually a bigger number. Uh, so one in 10 apartment units. But but yes, you, you read that correctly. So what what is the big incentive for builders to make that investment? Yeah, so it's, it's two things. Um, well, actually, it's, it's one thing. Uh, real estate owners, they build their projects to generate a financial return. The way that they measure that return is debt operating income. They get a multiple on debt operating income. And so Latch allows them to increase their revenue and also reduce their expenses, which both has the uh, both have the effect of increasing their net operating income. 
So if you think about um, a building and, and every building is kind of different, right? So a building in, um, in Manhattan, their operational costs with rekeying and uh, revamping an apartment when somebody moves in and moves out, ridiculously high, super expensive um, because of labor rates and other things like that. If you look at a building in Kansas, um, you don't have those same labor rates, you don't have those same expenses, but the buildings are really spread out. And so sending maintenance staff on a 45 minute drive to change a light bulb, super inefficient. And so you have these different, um, you know, Latch OS is, a, is just in, in many ways like an operating system for a computer where people can use it to make presentations, they can make it to use it to make Excel models, they can use it to play games. It's really flexible to meet the needs of a specific building in a specific context. So in other words, even though they're paying subscription revenue to you, I, re I read that your average contract is about six years. Yeah. So that's actually cheaper than the alternative. It in is. A lot of cases. That's right. Yeah. So it's, and, and that, you know, every great product, you, you get more value out of it than, than what you pay for it. That's how, you know, how, how any great sort of business, but also any subscription product works. And, you know, we've seen uh, landlords and, and developers be super excited about the value that we're offering them. So we'll talk about some of your particular growth projections in a minute when we get to the whole SPAC portion of it. Totally. Um, but what is the market size here? Um, I mean, can can your product, first of all, be retrofit onto existing buildings? Yes. Yes. And uh, and uh, a lot of our customers are retrofit. Um, you know, we've installed uh, with hundreds of developers, hundreds of retrofit uh, projects across the United States. Um, but the, you know, sort of market size zooming out, 47 million rental units in the United States, um, which is pretty big, uh, 90 million in Europe, which is an expansion market for us. Um, and so the way that breaks down, you have multifamily. So everybody thinks about the big Manhattan, you know, office, or sorry, the big Manhattan like skyscraper. But the reality is that a lot of big apartment buildings are in Dallas, are in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, two 300 unit buildings. Um, and so those are the types of properties where you have large concentrations of users that we serve, but we also serve the single family rental market, smaller buildings, but all in, we see that 47 million rental units in the United States is our day one market. And then the 90 million units in Europe as sort of our expanded TAM. So I know um, a lot of our members are also real estate investors. I, I, I know I am. Um, so just one of my properties, let's say, for example, it's, it's a triplex downtown in the, in the market I'm in. Yeah. Um, would, would Latch's product be a fit for that? Or is it just for kind of larger, larger so, scale developments? So today we have a 25 unit minimum. Um, but part of, part of why we've done that is to really focus our efforts as a smaller company and an early, you know, at an earlier stage where we needed to prioritize the resources, because if you think about it, well, for, from our perspective, the work that is required to help someone with a three unit building and a 300 unit building, it's actually quite similar, the amount of work that we have to do. We have to explain the value proposition. We have to go through the contracting process. And it, for us, it's made sense to focus on those larger owners. But with this, um, you know, with this transaction and all of our new resources, we see the opportunity to serve every rental space as something we're really excited about. So coming soon, Matt. So stay stay tuned. So I, you know, either I'll get to twenty five units, or you'll you'll, you'll get end, to you'll... both. Get to both. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a we'll we, we'll meet you where you're at, and and it's a it's a great time to invest in real estate as well. It is. I mean, the market near me is particularly hot right now, but we'll 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 see how that goes. Um, so 
let's get to this the SPAC portion of this of the the discussion. Yeah. So we recently learned you're going public. For those who don't know, you're going public through a company called TS Innovation Acquisitions Corp. Yeah. They are Tishman Spires SPAC, I believe, is the the sponsor. That's right. Um, so you're not just getting the SPAC proceeds; you're getting a, a, what's called a pipe that is um, part of pretty much every SPAC deal. And there are some pretty impressive investors on that. How, 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 how did you attract all them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, our, 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 you know, one of our, our values as a company is, is humble excellence, right? And so it's really focusing on doing the work. And we found that we've just kind of kept our heads down and we've just done the work. And when we had this opportunity to align with Rob's fire and the Tishman's fire team, I'd known Rob for years. They'd been a customer. They were a small and early, uh, small early investor. There was just this really cool value alignment with what Tishman's fire does in the world and the types of products that they uh, build and the long-term thinking that they have. And when we went out to raise our pipe, the the clear value that we could create together, but also the clear alignment of corporate values and just philosophy what got people really excited. And so if you look at the folks that came in on the pipe, um, Fidelity, Wellington, BlackRock, um, Durable, um, Chamath, um, you know, that's a really incredible set of folks. And we have the, the fortune to get to learn from their perspective, um, but also have them supporting us in this next phase of our growth. Yeah, uh, speaking of Chamath, he actually called you guys the best uh, software as a service company he's ever seen or invested in. That's a pretty look, bold it's, statement. <laughs> it's, it's high praise, but I mean, if you look at our if you look at our, our you know published uh, published numbers, we've never turned a customer. The average customer signs more than a six year contract, and ninety seven percent of our customers pay up front for all six years of their software. It's a pretty incredible, you know, creates pretty incredible working capital dynamics. And again, it's a completely reasonable and rational economic act because of the way that buildings are financed. And so it's this very interesting, you know, what some people, I, I flash back to raising money early days in Silicon Valley, people didn't understand what we were doing. They, they didn't understand why we weren't selling to consumers. They didn't understand the real estate industry. And frankly, a lot of people thought that the rental market was niche. And I'm sitting there being like, there's 47 million rental units in the United States. There's 47 million households. I don't know how that's niche, but it just didn't click because I think a lot of the folks in Silicon Valley, they, they drive their electric car, uh, particularly if you're talking about someone on Santa Road, they drive their electric car to a you know, three, $4 million suburban house in Palo Alto and think that's how the rest of the world works. And it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's really not. And so we've tried to build our products to be inclusive and to, you know, think about the needs of, of everybody. And we're really proud to work with affordable housing um, and really look at the entire spectrum of folks that are living in buildings and urban dense environments. So I saw that you evaluated about 10 SPAC deals, I think is what I read before um, settling on, on Tishman Spire. So yeah. why them in particular? I know you said they were an early investor of yours, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. It, it actually, I mean, it did and it didn't. So we had our first sort of SPAC outreach uh, in 2019, which obviously uh, is, is quaint now looking back. We are like, what's a SPAC? And I had that whole cycle of sort of trying to understand what was going on in the fall of 2019. Um, and uh, frankly, we thought it was kind of interesting. Um, it wasn't the right moment right then. We had just raised a large uh, 100 million plus Series B, um, but we thought, it was, we thought it was interesting to sort of track. 
Um, and so then fast forward to this fall, and we had multiple of our early uh, shareholders have their own SPACs. Um, and so we had this position where we had a lot of inbound, and then we had some of our own shareholders that had their had their own SPACs. So we really needed to look at it and, and think, take it seriously. And I think as we thought about it, a few things. One, if we look at our long-term vision, we've always known that we wanted to be a standalone independent company. We have not seen anybody else who gets this space or thinks about this space the way that we do. And we believe that we can continue to drive innovation here for a very, very long time. And we're just getting started. So finding a way to be independent and to be able to continue to build these products was really important for us. So ultimately, you know, we thought being a public company was going to be was going to be the path. Um, and so if you look at a traditional IPO, you don't necessarily and well, you don't get that extra strategic partner as part of a transaction. You go and you meet with the Blackrocks, the Fidelities, the Wellingtons as part of a roadshow. But to have the ability to go with a close and true strategic partner that opens up new markets and new opportunities uh, through the combination, that was why Tishman Spire seemed to be the best partner for us. And why we were excited about a SPAC was it was a, we felt like a one plus one equals three, as opposed to just getting, um, you know, the typical public company uh, shareholder base. We got this extra partnership as, as part of that next phase of growth. Another great point about being in, in a SPAC IPO is you can raise a lot more capital than you would in a traditional IPO, yeah. especially for a more earlier stage growth company. Yeah, um, totally. You're getting roughly half a billion dollars in the SPAC deal in, in, in capital, if I'm correct on that. It's it's 300 million cash in trust uh, and then 190 million in the pipe. So 490, but precision matters, you know? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but that that's a lot of money. I mean, the whole the whole valuation, I think, is it's less than 2 billion. It is, yeah. On a uh, fully diluted basis, it's about one point five six billion, if I if I recall correctly. So that's a lot of capital for a company of that size. What what are you going to do with it? Yeah, so you know, I think in important context, we've we've publicly raised, uh, I believe, one hundred and fifty million is what's been disclosed. So you know, we've we've had large amounts of capital that we've invested previously, and we think we've invested it wisely, which is why folks are are looking at this additional uh, round of investment. But if you zoom out, I think a lot of people see us building products for apartments, um, and that's a big market that they're excited about, and I we are, which is great. But what we're really doing is we're productizing the apartment itself. And I know that sounds like a, a, you know, maybe a little fluffy, but what software interface has existed for spaces before? I mean, think about all of the things that happen in your space and the lack of software and frankly, just efficiency that exists there. We have a roadmap that allows us to continue to deliver innovation for a very long period of time. And people are very excited about, um, you know, backing our team to go and continue to deliver the products for this space. And that's what we'll use the cash for primarily. Yeah, I would love to see your kind of, you know, vision for what an apartment building in like 2040 is going to look like. Yeah. Uh, cause, cause well, it it, it look, sounds like you, you guys want to own that space in, in 20 years. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, uh, I don't know if you're, are you an iPhone or an Android user? Which ecosystem are you in? I'm Android. You're Android? Okay. I'm not, I ha- I'm not quite as familiar with the phone transition process when you switch phones. But in, in iOS land, there's now this like blue cloud that comes up on the screen of your old phone and you just scan it with the camera on the new phone. And that's how all the data moves over. You're just on your new phone. Why doesn't moving work that same way, right? Where I'm just moving, all of the stuff about me kind of stays the same. It's just this one thing, the address 
that's changing. All of my preferences about the world are kind of similar. How, why do we are you not able to move in that fluid way? And I think those are the types of use cases that we're looking at and saying, we think you should be able to, again, subscribe to space and have your preferences go with you and have something that's really tailored to you. That is really interesting. And I want to get into some of your um, your projections from your um, yeah. from the presentation. So if you just look at the line of what you did last year, um, 18, about 18 million in revenue, you lost, uh, your company lost about 61 million, which is fine. We know growth costs money. Sure. Um, but you're, you're projecting that revenue is going to roughly triple this year and yeah. we'll, we'll reach 877 million by 2025, I believe. Yeah. So that's some pretty big growth. How, how are you going to get there? It, it is. Yeah. So a, a few things that, that are kind of unique to our model. So if you look at, at our booked revenue, so booked revenue is um, when a letter of intent has been signed for a specific project, that revenue, you know, we have a signed contract for, to map where our, how our customers think about this, they're not waking up tomorrow and saying, oh, I wanna have a building like next week, right? It's a multi-year process. And so because of that, we sign these, these contracts to supply our products and our services to those buildings in the future up to 24 months out, which is actually not very long. Like it's long in one way, but most of these projects are actually being planned five years out. So two years out is sort of what we look at as the bookings window. So when you see our growth projected for next year, you're looking at gap revenue, which is totally reasonable. We have LOIs for a very large portion of that, which is what gives us that confidence. So if you think about our bookings being here, and then the deliveries being a lagging indicator, they always move together. Does that make sense? And so the growth, we have really good visibility on because we have visibility on the bookings. Yeah, so that actually gives you a lot of insight into what your next years and even the even two years down the road compared to what most companies can really predict. It does. And that the bookings, to also be clear, that's not our sales pipeline. So we have sales pipeline, which gives most companies visibility. Then we have a signed contract, which gives us really good visibility. And then we have deliveries, which is what we recognize when we recognize our revenue on a gap basis. And so you can totally look at it and say, well, the revenue was small last year and that's reasonable. But the reason why we have such confidence in our go forward projections is because of the contracts that we have. Okay. Now that makes a lot of sense. So you have about a 154% net dollar retention rate. Um, yeah. I can explain that, but I'd, li I'd like you to kind of try to uh, let, let our listeners know exactly what that statistic means. Because it, it, they hear it a lot on the tech show, not so yeah. much on ours, which is the financials edition. To totally. So, so uh, net dollar retention is basically how much purchasing your existing customers are doing. And so if you think about that, if they just bought one product one time, it'd be at 100%. And so we already mentioned we have 100% customer retention. 154% actually represents that we've upsold new products and new services and new expanded uh, locations with our existing customer base to the extent that if you look at a snapshot of our existing customers, we have 154% net dollar retention, meaning that there was 54% growth on top of 100% retention, which is pretty exciting and, and, and fairly unusual. Yeah, a lot of our best uh, software as a service companies that we follow are in the 120 to 130% range, I'd, I'd yeah. say is pretty normal. So yes. do you think that's sustainable, second, second of all? 
So the way that we think about and the way that we organize everything on the product side is around modules. So if you look at LatchOS, we deliver new modules, um, you know, over time. And so as we scale new modules to existing customers, but then also just release net new modules, we'll have a much bigger menu of, of products that solve problems for our customers. And so is it always going to be 154%? You know, hard to predict the future. But what I would say is that we expect to continue to have very strong net dollar retention and also customer retention uh, going forward. So would you say your biggest growth opportunity is adding new products or continuing to grow your customer base? What's the kind of the more immediate growth growth potential? Can I pick two? Is that possible? <laughs> is that, yeah, no. But I love that those, answer. <laughs> those, those are the two things. It's grow number of spaces that have LatchOS and then grow the things that LatchOS does at those spaces. And that's what I wake up and I think about every day. So um, before we go, um, I just wanted to give you the last word. Is there anything you would want people to know about Latch and what what you're up to? And and um, for, when when is the the SPAC deal going to be completed? So you know we're we're in the SEC review process right now, but if you look historically, it's typically about three months from deal announcement to SEC approval and and uh, merger. I would say it's a it's a fairly typical transaction in that way. Um, but but you know in terms of last word, I would just say. We're, we're so excited to get to deliver new value for, for everybody in the ecosystem. So if you're a real estate investor, owner, we want to make your life easier. If you live somewhere uh, and you rent somewhere, we want to make your life better as well. So if you have ideas about, hey, I wish this happened or at my space, shoot us an email. Some of our absolute best products, features, and innovations they, well, not some of, all of them come from conversations with customers, conversations with residents. And I get so many cold emails, LinkedIn messages being like, hey, could you do this one thing? And like that gets me so excited. Like I was speaking to a, I was actually speaking to, um, you know, a, a property manager, uh, you know, who just reached out on LinkedIn the other day. And it's so cool to get to learn, okay, what are they thinking about? What are the ways that we continue to evolve our product suite? So help us help you. Let us know what, what your biggest pain points are so that we can keep evolving our products to, to meet your needs. That would be the thing I'd leave with. So you heard it. Luke wants to hear from you. I want to um, hear. Luke at Latch.com. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Hit me up on Twitter. There you go. So um, after this deal is done, you're going to have some deep pockets and a pretty impressive list of partners. And I'm really curious to see what you do with them. We're, we're going to do our best to just keep making buildings better places to live, work, and visit. So that's the goal. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Thanks so much, Jason. See you all soon. Bye. Bye, Luke. And now joining me to talk even more about SPACs, it's Mr. CFP, Matt Frankel. Matt, how's everything going? Oh, just great. That was a fun interview. And I'm looking forward to talking about two more real estate focused SPACs. Since we talked to Luke, I made this kind of the real estate day. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a really great interview. I enjoyed listening to it. So thanks so much for lining that up. Um, I mean, just a neat business from a number of different angles. And, and it, man, I mean, and you got to this in the interview, it sounds like they really are growing. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty impressive growth so far. And I liked what he said about you know, the revenue looks really low this year, you know, $18 million in revenue from a company worth that's valued at over $1.5 billion. But he said, yeah, that doesn't kind of tell the story. There's that two-year visibility was kind of the most interesting part of that in that people sign letter of, letters of intent for new buildings before they're even built. And that's not really recognized as revenue for, you know, a year or two down the road. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. 
Um, well, we want to take the back half of the show today just to dig into a couple uh, of, of new SPAC ideas, uh, one that's out there, one that's getting ready to get out there. Um, and, and let's just go ahead and, and start it off. Let's kick off the conversation with the first one here, Tishman Spire Innovation 2 Corp. The ticker is T-S-I-B-U. Uh, walk me through what has you so interested in Tishman Spire Innovation 2. Well, if you like Latch, this could be a SPAC for you because it's oh, kind yeah. of this—it's kind of the sequel. Ah, um, this is the second SPAC from Tishman Spire. Um, so this is—it it was originally supposed to be a two hundred fifty million dollar raise. They ended up having to upsize to three hundred million for demand. So that was pretty pretty impressive. Um, Tishman Spire—if you're not familiar—they're a New York-based real estate development. Or they—they they build, they manage, they develop real estate. Um, to name one of their big New York City properties, a little one that I don't know if anyone's heard of called Rockefeller Center. <laughs> um, I've heard of it. Yeah, they, they're, that's one on their list. There's a, they have a, some big properties in Paris, in Shanghai. They're developing a big new uh, complex in San Francisco right now. Um, they're a big, a big deal in real estate, it, it, just to put it mildly. They have about $56 billion worth of properties under management, over 82 million square feet in some of the most expensive cities in the world. That's a pretty big portfolio. So their CEO, um, Rob Spire, that's who um, who Luke was talking about, has been has he's known for a long time, is the CEO of this SPAC as well. Like most SPACs, they're very vague on what they're targeting, but they are targeting what's called a prop tech investment, which is what latches, which is short for property technology. Um, so if you think they did a good job finding a, a company like Latch to to take public, and think they're going to do it again. Right now, you can get the second version of their SPAC for just over the net, the ten dollar net asset value. Right before we were talking, um, it's trading for ten twenty five a unit, which includes a common share plus that one fifth of a warrant. So you're actually getting the common share for a little bit less than ten dollars, which is really nice. So so if you if you think they're going to you know repeat their you know their 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 progress with latch. Um, there are a lot of prop tech com- companies looking that could make good candidates. Um, so it's a, it's a way to get in kind of cheaply on kind of kind of a bet on management. So um, the ticker symbol for this one is TSIBU. Um, if you remember the units for the first one, the one that's taking Latch Public were TSIAU. So that was SPAC A. This is SPAC B. Um, but the official name is Tishman Spire Innovation Corporation Two. Do you have any? Do you have any timeline? Do you, do you have any idea? Like, I mean, I know Latch. They're they're kind of obviously, obviously, Luke was was clear on sort of the timeline there. Do you have a? Do you have an idea of a timeline for this particular launch? This this uh, second version. Well, it's worth mentioning this one just launched in in right. February. Oh well, I mean, I guess not launch. No, Maybe no, that no. Was well, the wrong so, word. so the, the IPO but the target happened. that they might be looking for. Sure. Yeah. So no, the the IPO happened in February. So this one's actually only trading as units. Um, SPACs don't split off into common shares and warrants trading separately for 52 days after the the IPO. So don't ask me why it's 52 days. It just is. But so <laughs> the point being, to answer Jason's question, since they just went public in February, they have a two-year time horizon to find a, an acquisition target. Most SPACs don't take anything close to the, fir- the full two years. Lately, it's been you know three, four, sometimes six months to find an acquisition target um, from from these kind of big name SPACs like Tishman Spire is, but it, it could take up to two years. So 
SPACs are great investments for people who are patient and really believe in certain managers. Um, like I said, this one you can get into just over that $10 IPO price. Um, still, it's not trading at a premium. Uh, I mean, the, the, the tech kind of correction in the past couple weeks has also hit the SPAC market pretty good, which, which is good if you're looking to get into some of these SPACs that don't have deals yet, because you're getting them for a lot closer to their net asset value than you would have a week or two ago. So it could be a good time to, to think of some of these, even though they, you don't know what company you're buying yet. Um, you know, the managers have a good track record, so I'm going for it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point you make there. I mean, oftentimes you may not necessarily know what company you're getting into. Um, but but you've made this point all along the way is that these really are a bet on management. And and so when you find a good management team, then you, you you have a track record you can go with. So whether it's the first, second or the fourth iteration, whatever whatever launch it may be, um, I mean, at, at least you have something to go by, and and I think that could be, um, yeah, that that could be really lucrative for investors paying attention. No doubt about it. Um, is uh, th- this second this second one here? Let's talk a little bit about this second spec because I think this is another interesting one for you, uh, listeners here interested in the space. Um, Gore's Holdings Six. The ticker here is GHVI. And this is the SPAC that's going to be responsible for taking Matterport public. And talk a little bit about what Matterport is and uh, what your thoughts on Gore's Holdings 6 are. Yeah, so this is, the, the as the name implies, it's the sixth SPAC from an investment firm known as the Gore's Group. Um, it's, they've, they've successfully taken five companies public already, so this will be number six. They announced they are taking Matterport, which is another property technology or prop tech company. Um, so what Matterport does is they provide a platform to make really impressive 3D maps of the inside of buildings. It's like virtual tour technology, think of, um, things like that. So they're the company behind the software for that. They have over 250,000 customers in 150 countries around the world. So this is not necessarily an early stage company. They've been around for 10 years now. They have over 10 billion square feet in their library of space that they've mapped already. So they're, they're not new at this. Um, they use a software as a service model also, um, meaning that they sell subscriptions. Um, they, they're a recurring revenue model. And while they've been around for 10 years, 2020 just kind of catapulted them into the next level. Think of what happened when 2020 started we all know that it was the covid pandemic and everyone was staying inside and you know before before march 2020 jason wouldn't be talking to me from his his house he'd be, <laughs> he'd be in the studio talking to me yeah so everyone stayed inside their house and the real estate market just kind of went nuts not only are mortgages cheaper than they've ever been before but you know inventory is scarce and things like that so it created this tremendous need for people to be able to see prospective homes to buy without actually going there. That's perfect for a company that can 3D map the inside of a, of a property and kind of for virtual tour purposes. So it's really, it, the revenue increased over 500% last year. Don't expect that every year. That was, kind of, that was the COVID effect. But it yeah. really kind of, but remember, they're a subscription model. So if they, you know, quintupled their subscriber base in 2020, that's a sustainable boost in revenue. So um, revenue in 2020 was up 87% year over year. 
pretty impressive. I, uh, the the 500% was their subscriber base, not revenue. So um, currently less than 1% of real estate around the world has a 3D map made of the inside of it. Less than 1%. So still a pretty big growth market. They're going public through the SPAC deal. It's valuing them a little bit more than about double what Latch is valued at. They're valued at about $2.9 billion. But that includes $640 million of cash they're getting in the deal. They're getting a $295 million pipe, which is the private investor round. And they're also getting $345 million from the SPAC, the Gore's Holding 6 that you were talking about. So a couple of impressive statistics that I read. The lifetime value of their subscribers is now over almost 12 times what, what their cost of acquisition is. That's pretty good economics. So each subscri subscriber they get is bringing in 12 times the amount of revenue throughout the lifetime that it's costing them to acquire. That's some pretty good economics that can really snowball over time. Um, and like I said, the 500% the growth in subscribers, just really impressive, um, impressive growth, really sustainable. It's really making the use case for this because um, having a 3D mapped version of the building it opens up your, your home tours to people who aren't near you, even after the pandemic. There's no doubt about it. And and I think that um, it's interesting that you, you mentioned this one, because to me, this immediately this gets on my this gets on my radar for the augmented reality and, and beyond service that, that I run here at The Fool, right? I mean, this sounds to be right up my alley in that regard. Um, so I'm going to be keeping this one. I'm going to be keeping this one very close and digging more into it. Um, in 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 the coming in the coming weeks and months ahead, um, what so I'm trying to think here now with Gore's holding six. I mean, this to me indicates that this is their sixth go at it, right? I it mean, is. are there five other Gore holding SPACs that have launched to this point? Well, there were five others before this that have gone have have taken companies public already. I think there's a Gore's holding seven and an eight out on the market right now. So six have identified their targets, five have already gone public, and I think there's two pre-deal Gore's holding SPACs that are still on the market. But it's property, this 3D mapping, the other thing I wanted to mention, and I'm glad I, I didn't forget this, it's not just 3D home tour technology. This has implications for design, for construction, for property management. Really every area of real estate could use you know a 3D imaging technology inside of a building. Yeah, I think you're right. So I mean, what, when, when I, I'm, we're having a, a small addition put on the back of our house um, next year and we're working with an architect and they're using a 3D mapping technology. So, that, you know, that's one application of the, that their product has. So it, it's a huge um, addressable market opportunity. Um, it's a pretty rich valuation for, you know, a, a company, they had about 86 million of revenue last year. So a pretty rich valuation, but, you know, big addressable market, lots of growth momentum. Like I said, the COVID pandemic might have just like catapulted them to the next level. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, that's a really interesting idea there. One I'm going to certainly enjoy digging a little bit more into. And um, yeah, listen, I appreciate you bringing it to my attention and our listeners' attention as well. I bet you've created some interest there. Uh, Matt, listen, I think that's going to do it for us this week. I really appreciate you taking the time to jump in. I mean, the interview with Luke was terrific, giving us a couple of more names in the SPAC space to take a look at. Uh, look forward to doing this again part three next week. Yeah, for sure. I, I I have some good companies in store. It's, I'll give you a hint. I won't say which ones they are yet, <laughs> but they're 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 two that I get asked about all the time. 
So they're the two very two very high profile SPACs we're going to be digging into next week. Well, I look forward to learning more about them, but until then. I think we're going to have to leave it here. Uh, so thanks again. And remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, or the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 